right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, hello, and thank you for tuning in to our Family Office Solutions webinar series. My name is Mark Tetzik. I'm the Family Office Design and Governance Strategist for our Family Office Solutions team here at UBS. Family Office Solutions is a team of dedicated specialists who work with our private wealth advisors to deliver holistic wealth advice to the firm's wealthiest families. Our solutions include areas such as income tax strategies, family office advisory, family advisory and philanthropy services, as well as art advisory, to name a few. We're solely focused on advancing our platform and resources targeted to the family office segment, so thank family office executives. The focus of today's discussion will be around how family offices design, build, implement, and manage their tech solutions. So to that end, we're joined by Dr. Tanya Neal, CTO and owner of Infograte. Tanya has over 25 years of experience in helping asset management, wealth management, and financial sector firms think through their tech. So I'd love to hand it over to Tanya to give a little bit of background on herself as well as her firm. Great. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for attending. Um, so you'll have to forgive me. I am a data geek at heart. Um, like any good nerd, I started at the NSA, uh, where the largest data sets and most complex security exists. From there, I went on to get my PhD um, in data integration and then have done three startups in wealth management and family offices. So like Mark said, for the last 20 years, my firm, Infograte, has been focused on family office technology. And we work with anyone from three people, two or three people that manage a billion dollars, all the way through to offices with 100 people managing, you know, three different generations of wealth and, and looking at um, multiple tens of billions of dollars. So it really spans um, all across the, uh, the world and the demographics. All right. Thank you, Tanya. So before we start, I want to mention that Infograde is included within our UBS professional network. However, it's not affiliated with UBS. Inclusion of Infograde in the professional network and the selection of Infograde to brief clients on family office, family office tech design is not a recommendation of or a business referral to Infograde. So Tanya, I want to thank you for joining me today to offer some thoughtful insights as well as best practices for families offices to better ensure that they are thoughtfully building their tech infrastructure. So without with that said, let's dive into the first question. Um, so Tanya, when it comes to building the tech stack, can you give some insight here? So what are the some best practices and what is the actual process? Super. Well, the first thing that we do is we actually have to build our architecture, our picture. We have to know our end state. If you were going to go visit someone, you would actually type in their address and know where you were going before you actually got in the car. And yet people don't seem to do that with technology. They just figure they'll figure it out along the way and stop where they need to stop. Um, and for us, we'd like to put together a plan and know that end state architecture. I call it the top of the puzzle box, right? You want to know um, what you're building before you start putting the pieces down. Um, the, the second big thing is that when you're actually putting the puzzle together and you have your architecture, the top of the puzzle box, you want to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples in it. So oftentimes I see people will call me and they'll be like, well, I've been looking at Archway and um, Business Central. And I'm like, well, those are both great systems, but they're not comparable. One is an integrated, uh, very broad accounting system. And one is a very best in class general ledger uh, AP system. And so oftentimes people just start hearing about vendors from fa other family offices and they start calling them and they end up with a world of confusion. Again, start with your architecture 
know where you're going. And then when you start to look at the vendors, make sure you're comparing like vendors with like vendors. Um, the other big piece is obviously you want to know your all-in costs, right? You should probably know what it's going to take to get to that end state, right? How long is it going to take me to build that puzzle? Um, you want to look at your all-in costs, not just the annual recurring costs of the software, but if you require developers to do integration, if you have a different staffing, one way um, we always approach them is you can also outsource. Is that technology? I don't know, but it replaces technology if you outsource. It also replaces people. So you really want to get a good mix of what you're going to bring in-house, what you're going to outsource, both from a technology and operations perspective to get your all-in costs. The last thing you want to do is, you know, get in the car and start your drive and realize you don't have enough gas to get there, right? So it's make sure you have your architecture, make sure you're comparing apples to apples, make sure you have your all-in costs. And then the fourth and last kind of basic best practices, pack as light as possible. Um, don't throw everything that you used to do with you on your new trip. Um, take as little as possible when you're going into the new trip. There are certain things that you do really well, certain processes. Fine. We want to, like, take those data. Try to take as little data as possible. It is super expensive and adds a ton of risk and complexity to the project. That doesn't mean that you can't store it, you know, off in, in, in a storage unit. You can do that. But actually taking it with you in the car along your way's journey here is going to be super expensive. Um, so I would recommend packing very lightly for this process. All right. Uh, great insight. So to that end, you know, you hear a lot about what does family office technology management mean, meaning the actual management of it. What are best practices and insights that family office should be considering or aware of when it comes to family office tech management? Well, the first thing is that obviously stuff has gotten a lot more distributed than it ever was. We used to have a server room and we had a bunch of servers and we had some desktops and everything was in our behind our firewall and all our employees came to the office and we all sat there and worked on our little desktops, talking to our little server and it was a very contained bubble. That is not the case anymore. COVID blasted people out all over the place and technology has blasted the applications out all over the place. So what you once was a very distributed system is now a very, or excuse me, a very centralized system is now very distributed. So what does that mean? That means the control is a heck of a lot harder. Um, security and applications are distributed. So how do you get control of your security? And I'm not going to go through the list of all the acronyms, but having a SOC and having an EDR and having um, a SIM to try to pull this information together, all the kind of little tech nerdy things that we do. But it is a very different approach. And I see people trying to take the old approach where everything was super centralized and they try to carry it forward and it, it just does not work. And it's a completely new paradigm. Um, and a lot of tech teams, a lot of MSPs, um, the MSPs are the managed service providers, the people that help you keep your physical infrastructure up, are all completely confused as to how to, to tackle this new paradigm. Um, so that's the first thing um, that we need to recognize. I, I granted, you probably don't need to actually do something about it, but you need to make sure that you're following the new paradigm and then get the right people that can help you not just do what you used to do, but actually work within this new distributed world. Um, the second big thing you need to recognize is 
Um, while you work for a wealthy family and they're super important and lovely people, they're not actually a great target for, uh, for technology. You're super complex. You don't have revenues. Your margins are small and you require a ton of service. So traditionally, the family office marketplace does not get a lot of love or attention from the technology space. It is very difficult. You also don't, like, I can't look you up in a great directory and go, I'm going to target the family offices. You're very private, so it's hard to target you. You make for a very difficult time for vendors to support you. And so as a result, you have to look at related markets. You can't watch what's going on in family offices. You have to watch what's going on in hedge funds and foundations and institutional investors and so forth. The related spaces are much better than the actual family office space. The family office space has not traditionally existed very well. Um, you'll see people pop in and they'll, you know, ride along. Maybe they'll have some family offices, but oftentimes they don't last long. They may stay there for you know, one, two, three years. It depends on where they are on their journey, but oftentimes they'll leave um, and and tackle more uh, scalable, lower uh, complexity markets than the family office market. So first, distributed applications and security. Second, the family office marketplace has not really been a great target. You have to look at the related ones. And so then the, the result is that you need resellers. Um, so what's a reseller? You can buy Business Central from Microsoft, or you can buy Business Central from a reseller. You can buy Intact from Intact, Sage, um, or you can buy it from a reseller. So the resellers are really critical, um, and they're the service arm that take some technology from some related space or unrelated space and make it such that it works for a family office because there is no great family office system and if it is there, it probably won't stay there for long. So you see people often go, oh, my gosh, this is such an open space. Let me come in and help in the family office marketplace. And they stay for two or three years, two or three years, and then they realize, oh, this is super complex. Let me go get a multifamily office. Oh, multifamily offices are a lot easier than family offices. Oh, let me go get an RAA. Oh, RAAs are a lot more simple and a lot more scalable. So they move on. Um, and so the reseller is the linchpin. Um, in, in the value proposition, they take that unrelated technology and they relate it to the family office space and they help with that whole distributed mechanism and how do you manage that and can help with those. So I would say do not underestimate the power of the reseller. Don't just think about the software. Think about how you are buying the software. So uh, just to stay on that for a second, so you're advocating for resellers. You're saying they could add a lot of value. The right reseller can add a lot of value. You definitely want to look at the technology, but I can take the same technology and put it in one office and have it fail, and I can put it in another office and have it go well, and it really depends on how well your reseller and your implementation team was. Um, the other thing that is two important concepts is when you do go to put in the technology, um, I have this concept of minimal acceptable to launch. What is a minimal acceptable to launch? You don't go in and get to your end state, right? That architecture, that picture that we were talking about, that's not where you start. That's where you end. And you want to start with a minimal acceptable to launch. One application at a time, but even within one application, you're going to start with a nucleus 
of what it needs to do. And then you're going to build concentrically out to figure out how to get it all to go together. So you don't just kind of get to that end state and pop over at the other side. You have to start and work your way in. Um, and then also, you know, at the end of the day, all of these systems, I mean, granted, I am a, a data geek and literally got my PhD in data. Let me tell you, nobody loves your data like you do. Nobody. No reseller, no outsource person. No one loves your data like you. And if you want to outsource it or you want to put it in a system, it is your responsibility to actually quality control it. Um, and so people can blame the application, but at the end of the day, it's oftentimes more about the QC process and the data and the information than it is about the actual technology. So don't don't just focus on the technology. Make sure that you have this information flow and, and process to control your information throughout it. Um, so people love like, oh, well, should I pick Sage or, you know, should I pick Intact or Business Central? And it's like, well, that's the easy decision. Um, and basically, I could argue even it's almost irrelevant. Um, Who's implementing it? What are you trying to get implemented? What are your steps getting implemented? How are you going to keep that thing clean? Those are far more important than actually just the system um, itself. So, all right. Thank you. One other thing on the reseller. What are some yeah. risks with resellers? Well, resellers are you know are people, right? At the end of the day, um, they make their money on the technology and the consulting. So they have two different kind of competing things. Um, so a reseller will get some portion of the fees and then they're gonna service it. And so there's a little bit of like, obviously the reseller is going to pitch that product that they make the money on um, or money, you know, they might have more than one product. They're gonna pitch those. So you have to treat the reseller as a product in itself. You can't, expect them to be like, well, you know, business central is blah, 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 or impact or archway or whatever it is, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses? They don't do it that well. They are actually selling they are resellers. So you definitely need to be cognizant that you're dealing with the salesperson um, and that they have an agenda um, there. Um, I would also make sure that the person, so when you, when you actually do your references, you do a reference on the product, right? Like, am I buying Archway? Am I buying Business Central? Am I buying Eaton? Whatever. You're doing a reference on the person that's going to do your implementation and the organization that's going to do your implementation. And there's three different things you're doing reference checks on. And people just go straight again. They call and they say, well, you know, is the technology stay up? Is it secure? And do all of those kinds of things. They forget to ask who is doing the implementation. Can I talk to someone that has actually done an implementation for a family office, right? Because they might be great, but they did an RAA or they did a multifamily office or they helped with a bank or they did they worked with a hedge fund or private equity. Did they actually work with the family office? Do they understand the family office? And are they actually going to be able to understand what you need when you actually buy that system? So um, they are resellers they are selling technology but they are selling that service and you need to check the people at that company as much as the technology perfect thank you yeah. uh so switching to a little bit so family offices often have a handful of, dif of different systems they adopt right it's all their reporting accounting infrastructure internal network all that what does integrating the tech stack mean and what are some challenges with that well first of all um even though again um i was you know <laughs> 
who spent my whole entire career on integration, I actually, um, in a family office, you need to be very careful about it because you do not want to have to call a programmer and not know when something goes down because two systems aren't talking. So the first thing I do is I look and I say, what systems are actually staying, right? Because you may have some pre-existing systems that like, I actually like my accounting system. Or I actually like my reporting system. My, my investment people are happy with this thing. So like what pieces, am I starting with a green screen or is, are there actually pieces that I'm um, going to keep in that architecture? Then the next thing I do is I count up my accounting. Accounting is the center of my puzzle, right? And there's six types of accounting. There's omnibus accounting, partnership accounting, portfolio accounting, general ledger accounting, tax accounting, and trust accounting. And I count those up. And if I end up with a number that's over four, then I probably want to look at more pre-integrated packages where it's already flowing data and able to handle multiple types of accounting methods because I do not want to try to take three accounting systems and merge them together. So many times you'll see partnerships. You know, they created a family partnership to pool their assets to go after real estate. So there's a family real estate fund, right, or a family private equity fund. That's partnership accounting. Is it subscription-based, like each one of the family members has a commitment just like a regular private equity, or is it like they can pull their money in and out and the allocation of that partnership could change? So we look at partnership accounting, and sometimes people put it in sleeves and side pockets. That's one big one. And then the other big one, almost all family offices need cash management and regular general ledger. And then, you know, do you need portfolio accounting? Well, what the heck is portfolio accounting? Back in the day, we were responsible for tax lots. Banks didn't have to keep our tax lots. So what was my basis of my IBM or my Cisco or whatever? Now, banks keep your cost basis, um, but sometimes you'll have 704Cs or you'll have cost basis issues where you actually need to track that. That would be some of your portfolio accounting. And so those are the typical big three um, accounting systems. Normally, you can kind of tack on the rest. If you have all of those, you may want to look at a pre-integrated system. Um, if you if you only need two of them and the two can kind of cover, you know, maybe this one can do a little trust accounting or omnibus accounting and you don't really need partnership accounting or whatever because your ownership doesn't change much. If you can limit that and only get two systems, then you can actually integrate it. Um, but you do not want to look at your puzzle box top and try to integrate six things. It's just too complex. The overhead and the complexity is, is really um, tricky. Um, if you have a system that you already say, well, uh, that's great, Tanya, but I already have um, a general ledger system. The team already knows how to do all the you know, accounts payable and where the capital calls and do all the money movements and stuff. I don't want to change that. I just want to deal with my partnerships and my reporting. And I'm looking at it. You may then have to look at a data warehouse. So, again, I'm going to go to, like, this time airplanes, right? So why did we create O'Hare Airport? All the planes go through O'Hare Airport and then out. Like you can't get a direct flight anymore. You got to go through O'Hare to get wherever you're going. That is the same. You do not want every accounting system talking to every other accounting system in your office. All those direct connections, it adds a ton of complexity and upkeep and overhead that you that really very few family offices without a, a significant tech staff can really actually afford. So if you have a pre-existing system, you basically want to create the O'Hare Airport. 
right, where all the data actually goes to one place. And instead of direct connections between all your different accounting systems, each accounting system basically flies to O'Hare. All your data meets at O'Hare, and that's where your consolidations happen. So you do not, you want to count your accounting systems. You want to count how many you have and are going to keep from your existing. And then you're going to build your architecture picture. That's kind of where we're going at this at the start of this, right? Know your architecture. The more consistent you can be with your approach, the better you will be. Um, so consistency is king. And then even though you will end up with that architecture, remember I said, when I think about minimal acceptable to launch, I'm not going to start with everything pre-integrated. Start with it manually and see, does this work? And how would I do it if this link between these two systems were to break? What would I do? And start with it manually, get the process really refined, and then automate. Don't go in automating with some black box of programmers, and then every time something doesn't work, you have to call the programmer. Start simple. Start with your minimal acceptable to launch. Start with your manual integration. If you can, start with it pre-integrated. Um, if you have that massive complexity of your accounting, and then um, and then build out from there. And then the last uh, two things to think about is if I'm going to actually do some integration, try not to do bi-directional things. Data flowing from here and data going back. Two directions is a lot harder to deal with technically than just everybody send your data to O'Hare Airport. Everybody send it to the data warehouse. A lot simpler than having data go back and forth um, in both directions. That will dramatically simplify. And then the other thing you want to know is when I'm picking this technology, can I get my data out? So again, know your architecture. They're called APIs today. I want to know how I get my data out because I'm never going to be able to do an integration without those APIs. What does an API stand for? That That's like you just need to know that you need to make sure you can get your data out. An API is just a technical jargon for getting your data out. You just want to know that you can get your data out and that you're going to integrate it. Again, starting with that puzzle box top, where are my systems? Where is my data going to flow at the end state? And will I actually, you don't want to buy that system and then realize your data is locked up. And now that we're in this distributed, it's all not sitting in my server room anymore. Now it's distributed. It's sitting all these different applications. Making sure I get it out is much harder than it used to be. Um, and so you do want to check that prior to getting into the system. All righty. Um, <laughs> Hopefully yeah. I didn't lose you. <laughs> so thank you. Appreciate that. Um, next question. What are the areas of a technology management that we should think about it? It sounds like it is more than just secure accounting on a desktop. Yeah, exactly. So there are four areas that we focus on. Everybody loves the application. So I'm not going to even talk about that. We've kind of talked about, you know, portfolio accounting and partnership accounting and tax accounting and blah, blah, blah. There are definitely applications. The one that nobody likes to talk about is the data. What are the processes to maintain data? If I look, I was going to do a, um, an accounting system for a family office. They have 150 to 300 entities. What's my list of entities? It's surprisingly hard to get a list of entities. What are my list of all my bank accounts? What are my list of all my properties? What are the list of all my investments? All of these lists, these data items are shared among all of these things. 
that data is so important. And so there's a whole data management practice that really needs to go in to couple with your applications. Then what's data without workflows, right? So how does it move um, in the process and between the systems? So it's not just the technical integration, but it's the business process. So, you know, accounts payable is a really simple one. A capital call comes into the investment team. It needs to get over to the accounting team. It needs to get to the management team to approve, to get to the bank, to come back around and make sure that I actually had the money and that it all got paid. That one little capital call is probably going to hit four different types of people. Even in, a, even in my family office with three people, someone's on my, wiring the money, someone's on the approval, and someone's on the investment. That's my three people and the family member in that case, actually, because it's a small office who's actually engaged on the approval. So you got to think about your workflow. And then the, the tricky one is this infrastructure, right? Like I said, we used to have it all sitting in the server room. If you still have a server room, you should have an entire conversation about going serverless. You should not have it in your server room anymore. It's not safe in your server room anymore. The infrastructure is now distributed. And so how do you... Do ransomware? How do you talk about ransomware? How do you look at business continuity? What if one of the applications were to go down? How do you look at security when you have five, six, seven applications? How do you think about passwords now that you have, you know, 15 passwords? I got all the different banks I got to go to. I've got all my different applications I've got to go to, blah, blah, blah. So all of the infrastructure management, their exercises, that you go through where you literally take each application that you have, anything from email, files, passwords, you know, risk management, reporting, accounting, blah, 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 straight down the line and say, how is it secured? How is it integrated? What happens if it goes down for an hour? What happens if it goes down for a day? What happens if it was hit and I don't know when it's coming back up? And that you have to be very methodical uh, because, again, very distributed um, So the, the infrastructure. So applications, data, workflow, and infrastructure are the four areas. And, and you can't just focus on the application. The application is the easiest last part of that. Really, the other three are far more tricky. Perfect. Um, so we really have two kind of ending questions. Um, the next one is, you know, if we're looking into the future, what's next for family office technology? Because I, I will say, you know, I've been in the space since 08. I've seen the advent of Adapar, um, and I've seen a lot of other providers pop up. But to your point, it is a it is a tough industry to crack because it's so fragmented. And, you know, one family office can, as you mentioned, you know, be managing $100 million and another one be managing ten. And they're not wealth creation vehicles, right? Like a private equity fund, they're really they're really cost conscious. So, just want to kind of understand from your perspective, what's next for family office technology on the horizon that you see? Well, actually, I think we might be at um, an interesting inflection point. Um, historically, totally agree with you. Like the family office marketplace, unless you're a service provider, has really been very tricky um, to, to crack. Um, but we're finally getting to the point where, um, at least in terms of volume, the number of family offices has gone up. Um, you know, family offices used to be reserved for, you know, kind of generation three, generation four 
um, kind of traditional, much larger ones. Now you see G1s get family offices, G1s and 2s have family offices. There is a lot more wealth creation. So we're seeing a lot more family offices. Um, and then it's becoming uh, something that other countries have also now that's started to really institute. Um, and so the family office marketplace is actually Europe used to never have technology. Actually, if you look at the European family office technology, it's pretty good. They've had family offices a long time. They've been distributed, fragmented, all those kinds of things. But Europe actually has entered an entirely new set of technology for us to actually look at. So I actually think we may be starting to actually have a place that can actually keep a family office as a actual client and target channel, um, which I think would be really exciting and, and quite nice for, uh, for the family offices. So that's one big piece. Obviously, I can't, I, you know, I wouldn't be a technologist, can't have a call without talking about artificial intelligence. Everybody's saying, well, how are you integrating artificial intelligence? And I'll say that there's two ways. Um, the, the first way is uh, only my leading edge um, clients have private chat GBT. So we set up private chat GBT. And if you're an investment person or you're a legal person, you know, dealing with contracts or trust, you know, trust documents, um, entities, all, you know, subscription documents, all those kinds of things, then ChatGPT privately so that it's not being pulled back into the learning algorithm is actually helpful. Other than that, artificial intelligence is being baked into all of your applications. And so if you're on a Zoom phone call, that Zoom phone call is being recorded and actually is using the conversations. There's a, it's an automatic checkbox that they can use those conversations for their learning algorithm. Do people know that? Do people use Zoom phone calls all the time? Sure. Do they recognize that their conversations may be going back into the AI algorithm for learning? Not many. Um, some are good and some are bad and some have options, but obviously most of the family offices are not going to be actually creating their own um, algorithms. They're going to be leveraging it Microsoft is coming out with Copilot. Dropbox has come out with a great file um, AI search piece. You know, Zoom has it. Uh, the one that we're really looking forward to, you know, I talked about applications, data, and workflow. The task management tools, a multifamily office, you've seen one, you've seen one kind of conversation. They all have a ton of details. It is a multitasking myriad of details that, that they are tracking. Um, and the, the task management tools, the ClickUp, the Asanas, the Mondays, the Smartsheets, um, they're really integrating. So if I could have a conversation, we go into a meeting and the meeting comes out and picks my five tasks and kicks them right off and assigns them to the right people in my task management tool, that kind of stuff in order to enable clean data and workflows is going to be amazing. So I don't see many family offices actually setting up their own artificial intelligence learning algorithms, but they will be big consumers of it. And I think it will dramatically help the workflow and data um, conversations that I was saying are so sorely, um, you know, shoved in the back. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. Um, so just a few takeaways before we leave here. Uh, if you can leave our listeners with a couple. Yeah, so I, I think I have three takeaways. The first one is 
know that puzzle box top. Know the puzzle before you are actually going to start building it. It is far more efficient. Um, you'll know your all-in cost. Make sure you have your roadmap, whether you think of the ways analogy or the puzzle analogy. Please make sure you know where you are trying to get to before you actually start to build it. Um, the second one is do not forklift. Do not take your old baggage, whether it's your old data, your old processes, your old security framework, and try to carry that into your new um, way of going. You have to redesign. Um, redesign your security framework. It is now a distributed security framework. It is a lot trickier. Um, so you have to redesign, and you can't just carry forward old ways. And then the last piece is, as much as I love my applications and, like, all that, it's not about the application. It's about the data. It's about the process. It's about who's doing it, and it's about the team. So focusing on transparency and change management, all those kind of soft skills, is going to be what makes or break your technology, not the actual technology, not the application. Those are my big three. Thank you very much. Uh, a couple things before we leave. So I think Tanya and I are going to do a couple more of these, probably in podcast format, not live webinar. Um, and we're going to get more granular and drill down on a few of these. So I can, I can envision us doing one on accounting, right? The six different kind of concepts in accounting and how we round that out. Uh, those are just my thoughts there. The other one is this will be available on replay, uh, audio only. So we'll send that out probably in around a week or so. And the next one is, you know, there's obviously, an, I don't want to say an endless list of issues, concepts, topics that family offices and family office executives want to learn about, want to know about. If you have a list of those, or if there's something you want us to cover, please email your private wealth advisor. He or she will then relay it to me, and we'll see what we can do, okay? Um, and lastly, again, Tanya, thank you for joining, providing insights on how family office can think through their tech stack, best practices, insights, so on and so forth. Uh, and again, as always, please reach out to your UBS private wealth advisor uh, for the additional information, and thank you. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. Thank you.